It's Monday, August 14th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Happy Monday, gents. Hello, Cheers to Evan. you, too. I, I, they tell me it's the dog days of August, but we are just chugging along. <laughs> dog days. <laughs> the news just keeps on chugging. We're gonna. There's a lot of television news that we're gonna get to, but let's start with the deal of the day, and that is with VF Corp, which is the parent company of Timberland and Wrangler, and now VF Corp is buying Dickies and Work uh, Workright because apparently they want to get into the uniform business. Yeah, well, their workwear business has been, you know, chugging right along. As we mentioned, the news is chugging right along. Well, so is uh, its workwear business uh, up twenty percent in its second quarter. So this plugs right into that business. Um, Eight hundred seventy-five million in trailing twelve months revenue for for Williamson Dickies. So hoping to get to a billion in the next few years, which makes VF Corp the largest workwear company. In North America, um, and I've seen Dickies outside of North America too, which kind of caught me off guard as more like a fashion brand, not just a workwear brand. So, um, kind of playing into that international growth message as well, um, part of their five-year plan that they announced in the second quarter. Add VF Corp to the list of companies that the name of the company is probably the least well-known. Yeah, I was like, going to say, <laughs> people are familiar with Timberland, yeah. and Wrangler, and Dickies. Most people have never heard of VF Corp. No, not, well, in the North Face too um, might be the most well-known brand out of this out of this company. So, um, one of those brands behind the brand, kind of like the Diageo of liquor, where they own Captain Morgan's and Smirnoff, and the list goes on and on. But um, well, yeah. Taylor's very familiar with Diageo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you know Johnny Walker too. So we'll throw out some some Browns there. But um, well, many many moons ago, I mean, I remember at least growing up that Dickies was less about. At least less about solely being like workwear, and I mean that was kind of like your back to school. Well, I got to go get some khakis, and I mean you're either probably getting Dickies or Duckhead. Mm-hmm, yeah, um, and I I really haven't kept up with even what Duckhead is doing these days, if it even still exists. Really, I'm sure it probably does, and maybe it's. I've seen the logo it. out there every now and then, but yeah, it just it's a it, it, Timberland was a recommendation in Stock Advisor a, a while back, and uh, it, it was. Not a very long-lived recommendation. I mean, VF Corp got in there and, and and bought that thing out pretty quickly. And I feel like that's probably the better opportunity for a lot of these brands going forward. I mean, if you're not Nike or Under Armour or, or you know something like that that that's powering this big sports market opportunity, if you're just sort of a retail brand, I mean, it's really hard to live life on your own these mm-hmm. days. Um, being part of a bigger family that you know can invest money where it needs to be invested, but also has that distribution and in a number of different ways to win. It seems like that's probably the best bet. Yeah, as part of their reshaping the brand initiative, they've they've sold off a few brands in the last year, so this will be the first major acquisition that they've made in some time. And I'm assuming that the price that they paid for these acquisitions is right in line with what Wall Street was hoping for, because shares of VF Corp are up a couple of percent mm-hmm. this morning and closing in on a 52-week high. Yeah, less than one-time sales, 820 million, I think, was the deal, and they had Man, 875 million in <laughs> annual revenue. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, really targeting that international growth, I think, here. And as I said, 20% growth in workwear without this deal. Let's move on to television. And this is like, it's there's not, unlike professional sports, where there is a set period of time in the calendar for free agent signings, there, <laughs> there is not one of those necessarily with television. And yet, 
today feels like we are in the middle of free agent signing for television, (laughs) because Amazon has signed a deal with Robert Kirkman, who is best known for creating The Walking Dead on AMC. And even bigger, Netflix has signed a deal with Shonda Rhimes, who is one of the most successful showrunners of this century with Grey's Anatomy and How to Get Away with Murder and Scandal. And uh, both great deals. I think somewhat telling that Shonda Rhimes was very upfront, and we don't know how much money she's getting paid. Let's assume it's more. It was $10 million with ABC per year, so... And and even if it was exactly the same, I think her quote about, and I'm quoting directly here, getting out of, quote, the necessary grind of network television, <laughs> I think that speaks volumes about this deal. Yeah, you know, I, I the first thing that came to my mind when I when I read about this deal, it, it brought me back to, and I know probably a lot of people aren't going to be able to relate specifically to this example, but perhaps you can um, draw some parallels somewhere in what you've done in your life. But when I was in the golf business many years ago, I graduated from college and I was a PGA club professional for about seven years. And my first couple of years, uh, I was working at a club in Taylor, South Carolina, Pebble Creek Country Club, and at the time. Pebble Creek was owned by Club Corps, and it had been spun out from Club Corps subsequently. But at the time, Club Corps publicly Corp, traded. It, it is well, it, not for much longer, right? Club Corps actually just uh, just agreed to be acquired as well. But but generally speaking, you know, Pebble Creek it was it was sort of that grind. It was a treadmill. I mean, we were a private club, but we had thirty six holes, and one of those golf courses was basically hosting a corporate outing every day. And so we were kind of double timing it from the golf shop there at that club. I mean, it was it was a grind day in and day out. And it, it it really could wear on you very quickly because the days kind of bled into one another. You were working 12, 13, 14 hour days and just it's, it seemed like it never stopped. So the goal as a young club professional at that time was like you want to land that gig at the nice little private member-held golf club where you're not doing anything other than really catering to the members, being a little bit creative, coming up with nice tournaments and outings for them, but you're serving a membership as opposed to sort of these corporate outings day in and day out. And, and so, you know, when I got the opportunity to do that at, at Chartwell Golf and Country Club up in Savannah Park, Maryland, it, it was not even a question. I mean, really, the money didn't even matter. It was like, just, just get me the hell out of here. <laughs> I love Greenville, South Carolina. I, I just love it to death, but the job was killing me. And uh, and so I think this is kind of that same thing. Judging from from Shonda Rhimes' comments, is it makes me wonder. The bigger question that comes from all of this: How long do you continue to meaningfully invest in broadcast TV? If really that's not where the puck is going, I mean, clearly the puck is headed towards your over-the-top streaming networks. And if you get a gig with a Netflix or an Amazon or an HBO, like that's the holy grail of creativity, right? I mean, you're going to get the opportunity really to focus on doing something creative, something more aligned with sort of a you know, life vision or whatever, something you've been thinking about for long. But it just you kind of get off of that that treadmill, right, of just kind of just every day, day in and day, you kind of all right, hey, well, this is something I get a chance to really go do and really enjoy my work again. I, I imagine that's what she's feeling now. And it seems like more and more uh, folks who are getting these kinds of, of gigs with these companies are sort of voicing those same sentiments. The thing is, that comes at a cost, right? I mean, whether you're Netflix or Amazon or HBO, you got to pay up for that talent. Yes. And and so I think, you know, that's sort of, that's sort of the 
that's the, the the debate, right? I mean, how long can they get away with with forking over that kind of money without well, becoming meaningfully cash flow productive? And Kirkman, uh, who I mean, The Walking Dead, so successful with AMC. Not really the same constraints that you have with traditional broadcast television. Mm-hmm. I mean, b- viewers have come to expect for a network television show there are going to be twenty somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty twenty two episodes uh, over a certain calendar that sort of thing. Presumably, if if what we've seen at AMC with Vince Gilligan and Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul is any indication, presumably Kirkman and his team have had greater flexibility at AMC, both in terms of how many episodes they can put out? Does the season exactly have to start on this calendar day? Can we have a little bit more time? That sort of thing. So it, I'm curious to see if at any point one of the broadcast networks, whether it's ABC, CBS, NBC, or Fox, decides to take a flyer in terms of programming and go to someone and say, look, how many episodes do you want to give us? We can't do anything about the, uh, the length of the episode. But if you only want to give us 18 episodes instead of 22, we'll take that. We'll take whatever you want to give us. And I'm I'm not saying they do that across the board, but it will be interesting to see if someone just goes to someone and says, listen, we're going to give you more money and we're going to give you more flexibility than even Amazon or Netflix. Well, if they, give you, if they keep losing key talent, they're going to have to make some concessions, you would imagine. And, and Kirkman's... Um instance here. He's made a VR show. Maybe he likes the the prospect of Amazon's forward-looking thinking um, around VR and that kind of thing, using technology to advance the the way that these shows are presented. So, um, that could be something there. But yeah, certainly you're going to have to make some concessions, not just monetarily, um, because if you are a true artist, money might not be the number one thing you're looking for. Well, we talk always about advertisers wanting to go where the eyeballs are, right? And I mean, I think to a degree, at least, when you're when you're on the production side of this, whether you're the talent acting in these in these shows or producing or writing these shows, I mean, generally speaking, you want to get out there in front of a big audience. You want to find the biggest audience you can get. And so, I mean, you look at Netflix. I mean, that's a hundred thousand some odd subscribers now worldwide, right? I mean, HBO, which it's pretty amazing to think. Of. I mean, HBO is basically half of that base, and and they are just kind of getting their their feet under them in regard to the over the top offering. Um, Amazon, we could bat back and forth how many prime households there are really in the world, but but suffice to say, it's it's a meaningful number. But you have to also break that down to how many are using the Prime Video. Exactly, which might be a little it, less it, than the overall think, count. You know, when I I look at this and I think with Disney and, and sort of this this notion of going into you're taking its content sort of off of Netflix and trying to build their own offering. I mean, I think that's a good thing to do. I think it's a smart thing to do. I think this. Notion that Netflix is really going to meaningfully suffer is probably a bit naive, and I think people are not giving them enough credit for what they've built out today as far as a service goes. Um, I think that it's going to take Disney a lot of work to be able to build out any kind of of meaningful subscriber base. It just takes time to do that. Now, the nice thing is they have a lot of levers they can pull in in order to grow that base uh, very quickly. Uh, I, I, I. don't really think anybody thought Amazon was going to make nearly the waves in the industry that they made so quickly in building out their own streaming service along with its own original programming. And um, I mean, wow, a lot of the great shows that are out there are coming straight from Amazon. Mm-hmm. I mean, my wife and I are, are right in the middle of watching uh, The Man in the High Castle, which I, I just cannot recommend highly enough. It's a terrific show. 
uh, we've really enjoyed it. And, and that's straight from Amazon. And I, I got to say, we probably give Amazon more of our streaming time today <laughs> than you know, Netflix or HBO. But but as long as you have the skinny bundles and Hulu, um, I suspect Amazon will come out with their own skinny bundle at some point. I mean, there's going to be need for broadcast TV to fill that void. And advertisers will still help support that model. But clearly, the shift to video becoming more and more mobile with distributors like Netflix and Amazon and even Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and whoever else, I mean, people are consuming their content in different ways now. The one advantage that the traditional broadcast networks have, and I would include AMC, like cable networks as well, the one advantage that they have when it comes to trying to hire creative talent, trying to bring in showrunners, is they can talk specifically about audience and Netflix, if Netflix is sharing detailed information about audience size with their creative talent, I have yet to hear about it. I've heard a bunch of, uh, I've listened to a bunch of interviews with people who have done shows with Netflix. I've never heard anything about the audience. I think they play that so tight to the vest, they're not even sharing that creatively. And who knows, maybe that's even part of Shonda Rhimes' deal, or maybe at this point in her career, she just doesn't care. But I think if you're trying to bring in particularly younger, maybe even unproven talent. If you're any of the networks, you can just say, listen, we're going to get you 5 million people, guaranteed. Yeah, I think that's probably shared implicitly through the people they pursue, the deals they pursue. But yeah, to your point, I don't think that that's something that's necessarily explicitly discussed, perhaps, with with the folks that they're hiring. Uh, Two housekeeping notes. Uh, before our next story, uh, first, thanks uh, to everyone who came out last week to Chatter in Washington D.C. Uh, for our taping. We had a great time, and uh, we are definitely going back. We will we will figure out exactly when. It'll probably be sometime in September or October, but we will absolutely be going back to Chatter. And congrats to longtime listener uh, Levi Waddell in South Dakota, who, uh, when we were at Chatter and doing the episode, uh, he had sent us a question looking for some marriage advice because uh, oh. he tied the knot over the weekend. <laughs> nice. yeah, congratulations! congratulations. And, uh, sent us sent us a photo on Twitter, and uh, just it looks like it was a great time. So, congrats. Sticking with television. And the challenges for traditional television, the PGA Championship concluded yesterday, and the ratings were the lowest in a decade. And this is not this is not ESPN. Not surprising. This is not Fox Sports <laughs> One, and this is this is not going away. I don't think, and this is not just golf either. No. Nope. And we were talking about this earlier that. The deals that are in place right now, the television rights deals that the sports, all the major sports have with various television networks, those are in place for the next, I'm going to say, three to five years. If this trend keeps going the way it's going, not just for broadcast television, but for ESPN and Fox Sports and others as well, then I just don't see how the NFL and the NBA and Major League Baseball and professional golf are going to get exponentially higher revenue out of these uh, networks for the broadcast rights. Yeah, I, I, I don't think they will. I mean, I think uh, it, if I don't have three, three and a half hours to park myself in front of a TV to watch a baseball game, or I guarantee you I don't have like seven hours to park myself <laughs> in front of a TV to watch these guys golf their ball around 18 holes. And, and I say that as a lifelong golfer. I mean, obviously, I, I have... You're the target audience. In, I am <laughs> the target audience, which is amazing. And I, I think about this, and 
I mean, I, I feel like golf in particular, I feel like, is a game where the powers that be, the PGA and the USGA, have just failed to change with the times. Um, but I, I think that more so when we look at the greater sort of sports argument, I think this really all boils down to time. And I mean, I think that technology, the advancements in technology allow us to value our time much differently today than, than we were able to do 20, 30 years ago. I mean, it just, it, it just, we have more things we can do with our time now. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, we didn't. I mean, we just needed sort of ways to occupy our time. Now our time is more valuable. It's that simple. And and so the attraction to sitting in front of a TV for any any stretch of time beyond perhaps an hour, I think becomes less and less appealing for a lot of people, myself included. But I think when you look at younger generations, and I think that's the key here, uh, kids that are growing up now, um, people who are just getting into the workforce now, I mean, those are the folks that I think are going to be the real indicators here. And, and, and I think their behavior is very telling. I think that um, sports is not immune. Nothing is immune. But, but sports in particular, I think there was a lot of sort of feeling for a long time that because there's that live dynamic, that it was going to be something where those prices could kind of grow to the sky. I, I think we've probably hit about the peak there, I think that we're going to we're going to start seeing a lot of these future negotiations coming down, particularly with new distribution uh, via mobile and, and other other alternatives. Yeah, I was going to say a lot of these big sports organizations have their own over the top streaming app. You have the MLB package, NFL Network. You can watch these mobily without going onto your TV and watching them on the network. So um, different options, and that, I think that's still pretty early stage compared to like the Netflix and Amazon attacking these networks. But um, it's definitely growing and. If you're more of a hardcore fan, you're more likely, I think, in my mind, to subscribe to their network because you get more content, more specific content. You can watch the games after the fact with no commercials. You can just breeze right through a baseball game in an hour or so. Um, so I think Love that there's, that, by yeah, the way. there's <laughs> yeah. different options out there for those hardcore fans, and and so you, you might be losing them in the next couple of years as these over the top options become more and more available, especially with Disney dumping more money into BAM Tech, which now partners with the NHL as well as the MLB since that's the technology behind the MLB streaming so definitely some options out there i think it's going to be really interesting too to see in the course of like 10 years from now maybe it'll be longer but i mean how this affects the deals that the actual athletes are in yeah because i mean when you look at it i mean just just on the surface i mean it seems like I mean, some of the deals these folks get, and I think baseball is is kind of the one where I just I look at it and I think these people they're inking like two hundred forty million dollars for eight years of baseball. I mean, it sounds like a lot of money to go out there and play baseball. I mean, it's a long regular season. I get that, but I mean, if the economics change materially and the future doesn't look as bright, if those forecasts come down. I mean, that affects everything from the entertainment side to actually what the owners of these teams are going to pay their athletes. And so, I mean, you have sports like tennis or golf, where you're basically kind of paid based on your performance uh, versus the NFL and and the NHL and and MLB, where you're inking these deals where you kind of get this guaranteed cash regardless what happens. Uh, I got to feel like maybe the owners of these teams are going to start pulling back a little bit on the on those offers. I mean, athletes in the future probably aren't going to be making those those same dollar figures that they've been making here over the past twenty years or so. Well, we saw that with professional hockey in the states, where there was essentially an inflation of salaries in the nineties to the point where it got out of control, and then you have an entire season lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I think if you are 
uh, a union rep in football or basketball or baseball, and you are a team owner, that like there's your example. You you have a real life example of what happens when when costs spiral out of control, and that's the kind of thing that you want to avoid. Well, MLB is an interesting case study right now because for the last few years, these regional sports networks have been signing billion dollar deals with these teams, and so they're just getting a huge lump sum up front and then guaranteed annual money from these networks and that's why you've been really seeing some salary inflation for some players and talking about potentially a half a billion dollar deal for Bryce Harper in the next couple of years strictly because it's this influx of cash from these regional television deals not ESPN television deals but team specific regional television deals um, and, and that's also driving up the cost of TV because you have to pay for these channels if you live in those specific geographic regions. Bryce Harper's out with a knee injury, so let's just <laughs> see, did you see that video? Uh, it looked yeah. way worse yeah, than it actually came out. To yeah, me. it sounds like I mean, what bone bruise yeah. versus I think they were thinking initially there were some tears or something. But out indefinitely, man. though. The key phrase is no structural damage. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, that's the key phrase for all of us. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Right. I get out of bed. If I, can say, if I can say that by the time I've had my morning coffee, the day is a success. Jason Moser, Taylor Muckman, guys, thanks for being here. Yes, indeed. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Forward. The show is mixed by Taylor Harris, helping us out behind hey the Hey there. Hey now. All right. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.